frankly, it is just irresponsible of the state of Florida to certify equipment that does not meet the intent of the law. Well, it's Florida. What did you expect? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In, uh, also in Eugene, Oregon on KEPW. Also up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding's KFOI in California, and in Round Mountain, California, on KKRN, not to mention AM950, KTNF, our friends up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. As we continue to unwind the mess of the uh, 2018 midterm elections, now more than one week since Election Day, But I ain't complaining. Yes, this takes time. At least it takes time if you wish to get everything right by, you know, counting every ballot that was actually cast, every legal ballot that was actually cast. Well, that's if you care about counting all the ballots. Uh, Yeah, I think a lot of of folks don't want to do that. Surprise! Never mind, by the way, if we uh, tabulate them accurately or not on our uh, computer, our terrible computer tabulators. Just counting them at all seems to be uh, a a huge feat in this country at this time with a lot of folks trying to keep those votes from being counted. And that is, oh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. I forgot to say hello. Um, Lauren Grow-Wargo, the campaign manager for Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Abrams, as you know, is locked in that very close race for governor in the Peach State against Republican Secretary of State and champion vote suppressor Brian Kemp. Uh, She, her campaign, is trying to make sure that all votes actually get counted. Lauren Grow-Wargo reported last night on Twitter, uh, she said, Tonight, 2,738 votes reported, with 2,315 That's more than 84 percent going for Stacey Abrams. She says, again, it's not just provisionals. There are still Election Day and mail votes being reported in places that were otherwise reported as 100 percent previously. 
She also noted last night that none of those 2,700 new votes or so uh, came in from Gwinnett, one of the uh, most diverse counties in the uh, in the state of Georgia and one of the counties that has had problems since day one. Well, at least problems if you're a voter of certain types, certain colors, I guess, where they had been um, just rejecting a massive number of absentee ballots in Gwinnett County. In any event, she uh, Lauren Grow-Wargo then tweeted this morning, more numbers in provisionals from Gwinnett this time. 1,500 going to Abrams, 668 going to Kemp, 21 to Metz, the libertarian candidate in this race, for uh, almost 2,200 new reported votes today. Wow. In that's this almost, race. that's like 2,000, 3,000 votes a day. That seem to be coming in right now. Yeah. yeah. Good reason to keep counting, I would say. Not to mention, if you don't, all of those folks would be disenfranchised. Uh, Gro Wargo notes that 68.6% uh, of that uh, of those new votes are in uh, coming in for Abrams. That puts the running total, at least as of this morning, to just over 17,700 votes that if Abrams can pick up, it would lead to a runoff between Abrams and Kemp, a runoff that would take place at uh, the beginning of December. Or if she can pick up just 15,445, that would lead to a recount in the race. So uh, it is still a tall hill to climb for Stacey Abrams, as far as I can tell. But they are fighting like hell for it in Georgia. And I am very happy to see at least someone's campaign willing to fight like hell for the voters at all costs. Now, they might not win the governor's race. But this fight for ballots to count all of these uncounted ballots, uh, as Sarah Henderson of Common Cause Georgia told us yesterday on the broadcast, uh, that fight is likely to help put a number of other candidates, uh, Democrats, for example, in other smaller local races across Georgia over the top. Just trying to count all of the ballots in the governor's race. That's leading to uh, changes in totals in all of these other smaller races as well. That is why we need to fight for every vote. No matter whether a gubernatorial candidate or a U.S. Senate candidate or, yes, a presidential candidate, no matter whether they may win or lose the state in the bargain, there are all these other races that are affected by you know, contests and efforts by folks like uh, Stacey Abrams, who's running for Georgia, that are going to trickle down, if you will, to all of these other races uh, where you have candidates who might not be able to afford to mount this kind of an effort to get these ballots counted. You know, in these very small races, they don't have money to uh, to push for uh, counting every provisional ballot. They don't have they don't have the the national platform to raise money for these uh, costly battles. That's something that a lot of voters are not aware of. The candidates yeah. often have to bear the cost themselves. Yeah. Just one reason why I'm still mad at John Kerry for not fighting uh, for every vote like he promised he would back in 2004 in the presidential election in Ohio. It might have. Uh, a, given him the presidency, but also lifted a lot of other candidates uh, and, and uh, you know, put them over the line as well. And frankly, just enfranchised voters who deserve to have their votes counted. 
in any case, um, th- that the fight, or at least Florida's version of uh, fighting to see votes counted, uh, that is happening in the Sunshine State as well today, and that will continue for a while by the looks of it. I'll get to the latest hot mess in Florida in a bit here, and it is literally a hot mess with tabulation computers in Palm Beach County reportedly overheating and requiring uh, recently recounted ballots in uh, what suffices for a Florida recount in any event to need to be recounted again. Oh, my goodness. So re-recounting in uh, the state of Florida. Uh, But let's start with some less confusing uh, and or less maddening news out of a state here where we are still tabulating votes in an orderly and reasonable fashion. That would be out here in California because uh, results do not need to be certified out here in California the first time. Never mind a recount as they're trying to jam in in Florida. We don't certify the votes out here until December. And uh, to that end... And, and then we start looking at potential recounts. But to that end, um, as I say, some good news for Democrats here in California. First-time candidate Josh Harder has defeated four-term Republican U.S. Congressman Jeff Denham uh, on Tuesday in California's Farm Belt. That, according to Associated Press today, giving Democrats their fourth pickup of a GOP U.S. House seat in California. The 32-year-old Harder anchored his campaign to Denham's vote against the Affordable Care Act while arguing that he would push for universal health care in Congress. He also argued that Denham and uh, and other Washington Republicans ignored poverty and health care in the agricultural 10th district in California's Central Valley. With votes, uh, vote counting uh, continuing, Harder's edge has uh, grown after Denham had a very slim lead on Election Day. After the latest update, it looks like Harder had a uh, more than 4,900 vote lead out of about 185,000 votes counted in that race, a margin that the AP believes is too large for the congressman to overcome with the remaining votes that are still out there for State Republicans, Denham's defeat marked yet another setback in a state where the party has been drifting toward irrelevance for years. That's the Associated Press describing California that way, not me. Democrats hold every statewide office right now, a supermajority in both chambers of the legislature and a 3.7 million advantage voter advantage in voter registration for the Democrats. With Harder's win, Democrats will now hold at least a 43 to 10 edge in California's U.S. House seats. 43 to 10. Where, by the way, our congressional districts are drawn by an independent commission, not uh, partisan gerrymandered as they are elsewhere. These are heavy Republican districts that are falling to Democrats in this state this year. As ballot counting continued, Democrats also gained ground in two other undecided House races out here in California, in Orange County, California, the previously very Republican Orange County, raising the possibility of a Democratic sweep of four closely contested congressional races in the one-time Republican stronghold and 
That's not an overstatement to call it a Republican stronghold. It had been for years, for decades, thought to be, uh, you know, Republicans only in Orange County. So in these other races, in the 45th district in Orange County, Democrat Katie Porter jumped as of last night into a 261 vote lead over uh, Republican incumbent uh, Congresswoman Mimi Walters. 261 votes out of about 230,000 votes cast. That after uh, trailing the incumbent Walters since Election Day. So that just flipped as of last night. Wow. So those 230-something people who bothered to get out on Election Day make a real difference. 261 in this case so far. I think that'll get even uh, even larger. Mimi Walters, the congresswoman, she's a, uh, an investment banker. She's in that uh, tight race with uh, Katie Porter, who is a progressive consumer protection lawyer and a college professor and a protege of Senator Elizabeth Warren. Now, for some reason, on election night, when Porter was initially behind in the early counting, some folks in the media Uh, You know, they ran to their computers. I was going to say typewriters, whatever. They ran to their uh, to to their deadlines to highlight this race as evidence that, oh, look, voters have rejected Warren style progressivism. The voters are even in deep blue California. Voters are, are not on board with that sort of radical vision of Senator Elizabeth Warren. And here is evidence of it in this race. Well, that evidence was uh, faulty, was wrong. The uh, fact is that these people who wrote those stories on election night and in the days after, it was a narrative that they wanted to report, but it wasn't true. As financial reporter David Dayan noted uh, just a day or two after the election, they should have waited for the, you know, actual votes to be counted which now looks like this could end uh, with yet another Democratic flip of a red seat in Republican Orange County and by an eek, an economic uh, professor, an economic progressive calling for accountability for Wall Street. What? And in the 39th district, also in Orange County, Democrat Gil Cisneros tightened the gap with Republican Young Kim, uh, who only leads at uh, at this point as we go to air by about 700 votes at this hour. That out of more than 180,000 votes so far tabulated. So uh, that Democrat uh, Cisneros could also uh, end up uh, uh, taking the lead there as more votes continue to be counted. Earlier this week, we told you that Democrats had also claimed the seats of 15-term Republican Congressman Dana Rohrbacher in Orange County's 48th District and uh, also the seat of retiring Congressman Daryl Issa, Republican uh, Congressman uh, in the 49th District. He quit rather than try to run, and a Democrat has taken that seat. But uh, in any event, right now, the uh, neither the Walter uh, Walter's Porter race nor the Cisneros Kim race has yet been called by the media as of airtime. So uh, for the moment, Democrats have a 34 seat pickup in the U.S. House as of now 
for their new majority control of the lower chamber of Congress. There are still eight seats that are seen as undecided by the media. Democrats are currently leading in three of those still undecided races, which would bring the blue wave in the House if they pick up those three seats to 37 seat pickup. Though, actually, I still believe they may get up to 38, as we discussed last week, uh, because there's one more California House race, that Cisneros race, that uh, is closing in on the Republican in the 39th district. And, by the way, uh, a ranked choice voting race in Maine's second congressional district out in Maine, where the Republican is leading but does not have a 50 percent majority which means the uh, second place choices that people used in that race could end up boosting the Democrat to a majority in that race uh, and a Democratic win. Yet another Democratic pickup. Uh, but don't get me started on ranked choice voting. In any event, it yeah, may I'm not redound. even sure I understood anything I know, you just said. Nobody does. So. Nobody understands it. Uh, but that uh, even though he did not get the most votes, the Democrat may end up being the winner. In uh, in that race in Maine. So that would be another pickup for Democrats and the 39th, 39th seat they gained in the U.S. House. That is possible. Yes. So what were they telling us after Election Day that, oh, disappointing, the Democrats didn't see uh, the big blue wave that they had hoped for? Well, it was, it was just a dribble. Yeah. Well, they could get as many as 39 seats picked up here. Uh, back in 2006, during the Iraq War, after Hurricane Katrina, when uh, Republicans were facing one scandal after another in the U.S. House, Democrats only picked up 31 seats that year. And again, as I noted yesterday, that was uh, in 2006. That was before the gerrymandering of the Republicans uh, after the 2010 census and the redistricting all over the country. So without that gerrymandering, this potential 39-seat pickup could have been a lot more, could have been 40 or 50 or more. Uh, anyway, we'll be watching those races. We'll continue to watch them. For now, there's some good news for Democrats, so I don't know what you people are pouting about. Um, oh, Florida? Maybe that's why you're pouting. Maybe there's good reason to be troubled about Florida. That mess is next on the broadcast as the man-made tabulation nightmares continue and continue to get worse in the Sunshine State. That's next up. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You can count on me, but you can't count on Florida's 
computer tabulation systems. <laughs> yeah, just apparently nobody can, either because uh, some people don't want to let them or the people who are counting, well, everything is blowing up, literally uh, smoking and catching fire. Anyway... We'll get to that uh, here in a moment. Also coming up momentarily is uh, Ernie Canning uh, with the latest on this CNN Jim Acosta contest against the Trump and the White House for uh, him being barred from covering the White House. Kind of an amazing uh, story. So we'll get the latest on the uh, legal scoop there. But uh, yes, back to Florida here. A Palm Beach County legislative candidate on Tuesday won and then quickly lost the first round of his legal battle to extend the deadline for election recounts to be completed as growing political heat generated lawsuits, dozens of them in both federal and state courts in Tallahassee. Now, uh, you may remember this story yesterday. I believe we covered it. This um, this local, well, a, a, a state, a Florida state house race uh, where uh, you had uh, Democratic candidate Jim Bonfiglio trailing by just 37 points, 37 votes in his race against Republican Mike Caruso. And in that case, a Leon County judge ordered that Palm Beach County election officials be given until November 27, according to the Palm Beach Post. Um, to complete that recount. That with all of these other recounts going on in the state of Florida for the U.S. Senate, for uh, the governor's race, for the Ag Commission, there is just not time to get any counts done, frankly, by this Thursday at 3 p.m. At least that's how the, uh, the state judge saw it in Tallahassee on Tuesday. But... That ruling has now been set aside. Judge Karen Givers, a federal judge, I believe, um, lifted that. Uh, actually, she, OK, she was the judge who put in uh, that extension, deciding to lift that Thursday 3 p.m. deadline. But her decision was trumped, according to the Palm Beach Post. Well played. Uh, when Florida Secretary of State Ken Detzner, the official Handpicked uh, Secretary of State, handpicked by Florida's termed out Republican governor, Rick Scott, who is also the U.S. Senate nominee in the midst of this very close recount against incumbent Senator Bill Nelson. Ken Detzner petitioned to move the case out of the state court and into the federal court, as we warned you yesterday he was likely to do. A federal judge now in Tallahassee who is hearing other challenges associated with the statewide recounts gave all sides until 5 p.m. today to explain why the county's deadline should or should not be extended. So that state court decision to extend is now basically put on hold for the moment. In addition to Secretary Detzner's legal maneuvering, incumbent U.S. Senator Bill Nelson the Democrat who is reportedly trailing by a little bit over 12,000 votes in his battle against Republican Governor Rick Scott. Nelson also entered the legal fray in Florida. Nelson filed a lawsuit in U.S. District Court in Tallahassee asking that all election supervisors in the state be given more time to recount the ballots. Which... Sort of seems like it would make sense to any reasonable human being. 
The vote counting will decide not only the U.S. Senate contest, but also the governor's race between Republican Ron DeSantis and Democrat Andrew Gillum. Also, it'll decide whether a Democrat or a Republican will be the state's next agriculture and consumer services commissioner. And, of course, uh, the uh, count in uh, Palm Beach will affect the uh, Florida State House District 89 uh, and a number of other uh, 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 recounts uh, in various other counties across the state. So Dan McLaughlin, the spokesperson for Bill Nelson's campaign, said we seek to give all 67 county supervisors sufficient time to finish the legally mandated recount and do so accurately. Bill Nelson said, unsurprisingly, officials in one of Florida's largest counties, that's Palm Beach County, have already indicated that it may be impossible to complete a machine recount for all of the outstanding races by this deadline on Thursday. To force uh, supervisors to submit uh, incomplete results would disenfranchise thousands of voters, his attorneys wrote. But of course, that is the hope of Republicans who are opposing this extension, though I should add not all of the Republicans. I'll get to that in a moment, too. The uh, deadline and other practices, the lawsuit charges impose a severe burden, disenfranchisement on the right to vote of the voters who cast ballots that have thus far been improperly rejected and will only be counted accurately if both a machine and manual recount are actually completed. Uh, going back for a moment to that House race, uh, that uh, Florida State House race, uh, after prematurely celebrating his victory in Leon County Court, the Democratic candidate Bonfiglio, uh, he's in a race currently behind uh, his Republican opponent by just 37 votes, in a race that cannot possibly be tallied, at least in Palm Beach, by Thursday since their older tabulation computers can only recount one race at a time, and they're first doing the Senate race, then the governor's race, then the Ag Commission, then they'll finally get down to the uh, St Florida State House races. Uh, and all of the ballots must be fed in in batches of 300. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of votes here. So just time-wise, it is physically impossible to do it. Anyway, um, Bonfiglio... The Democrat blasted the uh, Republican Secretary of State, Ken Detzner, saying he was playing politics and that his actions in filing these lawsuits were at best disingenuous. And the Republican candidate in that race, Caruso, also said that he agreed with Bonfiglio that Thursday's deadline was artificial. He said he had no intention of challenging his opponent's lawsuit contesting the uh, the uh, supervisor, uh, Palm Beach supervisor of election, Susan Booker's decision to count the District 89 race last only after the other ones were done. Caruso said, how can anybody say that we don't want every vote counted? That's all we want. Hopefully the supervisor of elections is given enough time to get it done. Well, good for him. Good I, for I'm, him. I'm, I, it shouldn't come to this where we have to praise a Republican for saying that they want to actually count the votes. But that's where we are. That is where we are. Um, so, yeah, good for him. 
meanwhile, the uh, Palm Beach Supervisor of Elections, uh, Susan Booker, said this week that her staff could complete, she thought, the recount uh, that she would be able to complete of only the U.S. Senate seat by the 3 p.m. deadline. And that would mean that by default, Palm Beach County's final vote tallies in the races for governor, ag commissioner, District 89 uh, uh, house race, those results would actually be the ones that Booker's office submitted to the state last Saturday, just days after the midterm elections on Tuesday before tens of thousands of votes could be tallied at all, much less retallied. None of the votes tallied over this past week would be added to the vote totals. Tens of thousands of perfectly eligible Florida voters would simply be disenfranchised due to this artificial deadline imposed by the uh, by the Republicans who run the state, who at least until now basically control every facet of Sunshine State politics at the state level. So now we have these dueling lawsuits, federal lawsuits, several of them. Um, the two uh, between uh, f- filed by uh, uh, the incumbent Democrat uh, Rick Nel- uh, uh, Bill Nelson uh, and the one filed by Secretary of State Detzner, uh, those are among nearly a dozen that have now been filed since the recounts began on Saturday. As Steve Rosenfeld reports via his independent ballot box uh, media outlet, The Florida election recount is about to get very confusing, he says, as if it's not confusing enough already. So let me try to um, clear up some of these uh, other lawsuits, what we know about them, what sense we can make of them. The first of what will be um, many federal court hearings, I suspect, uh, with rulings that will quickly follow Um, The first hearing begins in Florida's uh, capital of Tallahassee today. Lawsuits, Rosenfeld writes, have been filed over numerous ballot disqualification rules, recount timetables and whether Republican Governor Rick Scott, who leads the Senate race at this moment by just over 12,000 votes, whether he can sit on a panel that will certify who wins his race. Uh, as well as that uh, lawsuit I mentioned by Nelson, forcing all, uh, hoping to force all 67 counties in Florida to save. Oh, this is a separate one. <laughs> this is a separate uh, 67 county uh, suit to save digital images of every ballot cast and tabulated on the digital scanners in the state of Florida. That one filed by our friends uh, John Brakey and Emily Levy of Audit USA. Uh, The first of these lawsuits being heard today by Mark Walker. He's the chief judge of the U.S. District Court in northern uh, the northern district of Florida. He's a Barack Obama appointee. Uh, The first hearing will start with what the lawyers for Democratic incumbent Senator Bill Nelson claim are rules that led to tens of thousands of mail in ballots being rejected because voters signatures on the envelope did not match other state records. Again, we've talked about this in other states as well this year, uh, including in Georgia, where you've got um, sometimes partisan officials, certainly officials who are not handwriting experts, deciding that, um, oh, this ballot is fraudulent because, look, the signature on the absentee ballot does not match the one that may be on their registration record that maybe they signed 
decades ago. Or you signed with your formal name decades ago, and then you signed your ballot with your regular name that you used, your nickname, for example. Right. There are all kinds of reasons why they could declare that it was a signature mismatch without it actually being an attempt at fraud. And we are talking about tens of thousands of uh, potential uh, voters who could be disenfranchised here. Um, University of Florida elections scholar Dan Smith tweeted a day or so ago, uh, that more than uh, 10,000 vote-by-mail ballots in Florida have been rejected because of an unspecified, quote, voter-caused error. We don't even know what that voter-caused error actually is. 37% of them are Democratic votes. 34% of them are Republican votes. 28% of them are uh, no-party uh, affiliation votes. In other words, we actually don't know who those people voted for. We just know that they came from Democratic voters or Republican voters or uh, no party affiliation voters. Um, and so those were uh, fairly decisively uh, Democratic ballots that had been rejected for, quote, voter caused error. And then Smith noted there's still another more than 10,000 votes rejected from vote by mail because of missing signatures, supposedly, on the voter's certificate. And in that case, uh, and I guess these are uh, ballots where the voter may have forgotten to sign the ballot. They could have been contacted to say, hey, did you is this your ballot? Did you vote? And in that case, uh, there's 44 percent of them are Democratic. Thirty two percent are Republican. Twenty four percent are no party preference. So that's one of the suits. Another suit contends that absentee ballots did not arrive by Election Day due to a failure by the U.S. Post Office. And there's we have to file a suit to get those ballots counted as well. Yes, hundreds of uh, ballots that were cast and mailed before Election Day were found, I believe, at a Palm Beach post office over the weekend that had never been delivered to the county. Should those votes be counted? Uh, Bill Nelson's team says yes. Rick Scott's team says no, even though they uh, they were sent before Election Day, reportedly, and failed to get there only thanks to whatever happened at the post office. Through no fault of the voter. Right. Um, Judge Walker has set a court schedule that suggests he will be ruling by a late Thursday or early Friday in some of these cases. That is within hours of when all of the counties are due as of now to report their results from the first phase of what may end up being a more intricate ballot examination process that we discussed earlier in this week. They're first all machine counted. And then there is, uh, depending on uh, if the margin is less than a quarter of one percent, uh, for example, as it is currently in the Senate race, then there's a, a next stage that they call a manual count where it's not really a hand count is where they take overvotes and undervotes and and, and examine them, and if there is a vote on it, they put them onto a new fresh ballot and then run that new fresh ballot through the counting machines once again. It is a painstaking process. It's a ridiculous process, frankly. Um, but it is according to the current statutory uh, uh, requirements and deadlines that that process must be completed by this coming Sunday. So the first count of all of these races 
by Thursday, and then any needed hand examination or retallies must be done just three days later by Sunday. Now, remember, there are known to be already some 31,000 undervotes in the U.S. Senate race in Broward County, Florida. For some reason right now, another uh, very Democratic-leaning county, Broward, along with Palm Beach, um, 31,000 more undervotes than really should be there, a far higher undervote rate than any other county. And as uh, former Leon County Registrar uh, Ion Sancho explained on this show on Monday, uh, each of those must be examined by hand, remade in this two-step, uh, actually in a specific two-step process. They're remade. Uh, and then they're finally run through the tabulator. And that's just in the U.S. Senate race in one county. This has to happen all over the state. It's absurd. Um, this uh, pre-established process um, would be triggered by an order from Florida Secretary of State Ken Detzner right after the uh, Thursday 3 p.m. deadline, if that is allowed to uh, stay in place. But that could collide with rulings from Judge Walker or another court. So, yes, it's a mess, to say the least. Now, Rosenfeld also spoke with uh, Ian Sancho, um, who, remember, Sancho was put in charge of the 2000 presidential recount in Florida until it was ended thanks to the case brought by Republicans at the Supreme Court. But Rosenfeld reports that Sancho told him that uh, reminded him that Florida Secretary of State does have the authority to extend these deadlines because the Florida of Secre uh, Florida Secretary of State did exactly that, exercised that authority back in 2000 during that 37-day recount. So there is precedent for the argument that the Secretary of State could do this on their own. But uh, Rick Scott's handpicked Secretary of State doesn't seem to be all that interested in doing that. So it's going to take a uh, federal court, it looks like, at this time. Oh, and by the way, just to make everything worse than it already is, and I know it sounds pretty bad, but yes, it's even worse, AP reported this morning that the Palm Beach County election supervisor says that the aging equipment she is forced to use has overheated, causing mismatched results in the re recount of ballots in the Florida U.S. Senate race. Susan Booker said on Tuesday that the 11-year-old machines began having problems on Monday as early voting ballots were being counted. And when the numbers were crunched on Tuesday, they did not match the previous numbers. Here's Susan Booker uh, talking about the absurdity of all of this on Tuesday. The machines are old, but they're certified by the state of Florida, and it's irresponsible for the state to have a deadline that is unreasonable while they certified that machine equipment. And that was actually before the machines started overheating, I believe, when she was saying this is all so absurd. And it is. Uh, and it's not just overheating that causes these kind of type of problems, by the way. I was looking back at a report that we did at Bradblog.com back in 2006 when University of Iowa uh, computer scientist Doug Jones had found that the uh, same ballots in a test that he did were counted differently depending on which machine you ran them through. 
So this is an old problem with these computer scanners, and it's why I have always cited hand-counted, hand-marked paper ballots as democracy's gold standard, not these machines, which are now overheating. Uh, in Palm Beach, uh, she's, Booker said that uh, though folks are working around the clock to count the vote, they will not meet the Thursday deadline for all of these uh, races. There are nearly 600,000 ballots that were cast in that county, and the ones that did not match are going, uh, because of the overheating, are now going to have to be recounted, re-recounted again. 174,000 of those uh, ballots in the state's third most populous county will have to be recounted. Uh, Yesterday, I called it the most populous. I misspoke. It's the third most populous. Anyway, it's fun to make fun of Florida. But in truth, these are people's votes we're talking about here. Yes, Republicans in Florida have long underfunded elections and have made accurate tallies of ballots difficult, if not impossible A hand count of ballots in Florida, for example, is actually against the law in that state. Yes, there are consistent problems in some majority Democratic Florida counties because they are the largest counties with the most voters where a lack of funding and old machines and short counting deadlines uh, causes the biggest problem. But these are the votes of the people that we're talking about. And there is no reason to not count every single one. There is... No presidential electoral college, for example, that is waiting on Florida here. Back in 2008, you may recall, uh, Republicans slow walked uh, a a statewide hand count for the U.S. Senate up in Minnesota uh, between Republican Norm Coleman and uh, Al Franken. Remember that? Uh, The Republicans slow walked that because they knew that Franken was going to win and his win would eventually give the Democrats in the U.S. Senate a filibuster proof majority under Barack Obama in the U.S. Senate. So thanks to purposeful Republican delays in that Minnesota U.S. Senate recount, a statewide hand recount, by the way, the best one this nation has ever seen. Um, But the Republicans challenged pretty much every single ballot. So because of those delays, Al Franken was not seated in the U.S. Senate until July of 2009. Keep that in mind when you hear about, uh, you know, Republicans in Florida and elsewhere claiming that, you know, Rick Scott, it was ahead. He needs to be seated in the U.S. Senate immediately. As Republicans have already been saying, Republicans, including the president of the United States, making that argument uh, disingenuously at best. Count every vote, count them accurately, and maybe, maybe someday in Florida, count them in a way that we can know that they have been counted accurately. All right, speaking of a disingenuous president of the United States, quick break here and we'll be back with uh, Ernie Canning on the latest in this remarkable story where the White House has banned a CNN journalist from covering the White House. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Lies, lies, you're telling me that you'll be true. Lies, 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Fox News president Jay Wallace announced on Wednesday that the network Fox News would side with CNN in its legal battle with the Trump White House over the rescinding of the press pass for CNN's White House correspondent Jim Acosta. Jay Wallace, the president of Fox News, Uh, In a statement said, uh, Fox News supports CNN in its legal effort to regain its White House reporters press credential. We intend to file an amicus brief with the U.S. District Court. Secret service passes for working White House journalists should never be weaponized, said Wallace of Fox News. He said, while we don't condone the growing antagonistic tone by both the president and the press at recent media avails, So, yeah, both sides do it. I guess we expect that from Fox, right? Uh, In any event, uh, they say they do support a free press, access, and open exchanges for the American people. CNN filed a lawsuit on Tuesday over the White House's revocation uh, of Acosta's credentials, demanding that he be reinstated. The White House Correspondents Association supported CNN's legal action, So now has Fox News, so has CBS News and other outlets, while the White House has called the move, quote, more grandstanding from CNN. The White House took away Acosta's press pass after a confrontational press conference last week. During the president, uh, during that press conference, the president called Acosta a, quote, rude, terrible person. The White House then circulated a doctored video manipulated to make Acosta look physically rough with a female White House intern. All of that leading to the lawsuit filed uh, this week by CNN against the White House and the president of the United States and the U.S. Secret Service. Writing about uh, the CNN lawsuit today at Bradblog.com is our legal analyst, Ernest A. Canning, who joins us to discuss it now. Ernie Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. How you doing, Brad? Oh, you know better than to ask me that in these days. Uh, that said, uh, this seems so obviously uh, stupid and unconstitutional to me, the uh, barring of uh, the CNN uh, reporter, White House correspondent. It seems on its face to be unconstitutional. But what is CNN now forced to argue in its complaint a federal complaint against the White House filed this week. Well, essentially, they've got a lot of good case law supporting them. There was a, a case decided by the uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal in 1977 called Cheryl versus Knight, mm-hmm. in which they said that the White House uh, cannot uh, arbitrarily suspend uh, the press access to the um, to to the. To the President. White House yeah. uh, uh, press room, and, uh, mm-hmm. and um, that they really have to have a reason for doing so. And on top of that, um, if they're going to provide an essential reason for uh, revocation, that they have to provide the press with an opportunity to rebut. And what happened here was the initial decision was made by Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, on something that they that now they themselves have abandoned. Uh, which was a claim that um, uh, that Acosta had put his hands on the um, on the intern, mm-hmm. uh, and the video very clearly shows that that did not happen. Uh, the case is moving fast. The uh, the case was argued today 
in uh, U.S. District Court in, in D.C. Mm-hmm. The judge who's assigned to is a Trump appointee, um, Timothy J. Kelly, although I, I have to tell you, unusual for a Trump appointee, uh, Judge Kelly appears to be a well-qualified individual, a Georgetown <laughs> law graduate. Uh, he uh, spent a decade as a federal prosecutor and uh, uh, has uh, worked at you know major law firms. So, mm-hmm. so he is a you know very good uh, qualified judge. Um, in the arguments that occurred today, and uh, well, uh, l- just l- about everybody in the yeah, l- go ahead. actually no. Be, before we get to what the arguments were, I just want to establish here: these are what we're talking about is basic violations of the First Amendment, the, the free press rights, and uh, which seem obvious that the government cannot uh, restrict a free press, at least not without good reason, um, that, that they have to uh, cite, as uh, you noted in uh, some of the cases that uh, they cite in their in their complaint. Uh, but it was a first, uh, first Amendment, free press, and also Fifth Amendment, which... What are, what's That's the fifth the due amendment? Process. Due process. So basically, saying that because they didn't give them a chance to respond, they just declared them persona non grata. That that also violates the constitutional rights of uh, of CNN. Well, in fact, Acosta showed up late later that evening, mm-hmm. and the Secret Service pulled his hard pass, and uh, then they violated their rights again. Acosta flew all the way to Paris. Yeah. Uh, he had actually received approval to, to interview uh, French President Emmanuel Macron at that uh, those events uh, commemorating the end of World War One, mm-hmm. and they refused to allow him to attend. And then it turns out that uh, an event that uh, even foreign reporters are entitled to attend and then uh, it turns out that Trump didn't even show up uh, because it was raining. So let me so, just get uh, let me get that right. You're saying that uh, he had approved. He was going to interview uh, French President Macron. Did we do? Do we know? Did Acosta interview uh, Macron, or was that blocked? No, he, well? couldn't, he couldn't get. He couldn't attend the event. Ah. He had approval from the French to. Uh, they had issued credentials to him uh, uh, so that he could uh, interview Macron. And uh, uh, he wasn't able to do so because uh, the Secret Service wouldn't allow him to attend the event. The Secret Service wouldn't allow him to attend the event, and that's the one that the president, that Donald Trump, failed to show up to because it was raining outside and he might uh, mess up his hair or some nonsense. Yeah, Yeah, it's either that or he's still pouting about the results of the election. I'm not sure why he really didn't show up. Yeah, it's unclear at this time. But uh, but it is amazing to me that in a foreign country, somehow the uh, this president was able to bar a an American journalist from even going to an event where he would have interviewed the French president. It's just kind of mind-blowing. So uh, what the White House, uh, first they claimed that it was due to uh, the way that, uh, that, you know, they pretended, they put out that doctor video, video that Acosta had manhandled that intern, but they have now changed their reason for why they uh, have barred Acosta? Well, in fact, they've abandoned that reason altogether. And now the incredible thing is that the Department of Justice attorney who uh, represented the president at the hearing is arguing that essentially the president doesn't have to have a reason, and that uh, uh, that he can uh, uh, then he he can has, has the discretion to decide who gets to interview him and who gets to attend the press conferences. So that that's clearly at odds with the with the existing case law. The the interesting thing, and 
you know, there's some heavy hitters there on mm-hmm. behalf of uh, CNN, including uh, uh, Ted Olson. But the the attorney that was arguing in the case, uh, uh, Judge Kelly, questioned whether you know it was it was reason other than the content of the speech, uh, uh, you know, content of what he was asking mm-hmm. is for a reason for this, and uh, uh, that's where the whole discussion got into when, when they pressed the. Uh, then the, the you know press the DOJ attorney and they, they, you know they 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 didn't really have this reason anymore. It's basically trying to claim he was rude. Uh, uh, but if you look at it, there's uh, there's very little doubt that it was the content uh, that that Trump. If you if you watch the 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 video which mm-hmm. I have attached at the end of the piece, yeah. it, it, the, Trump's hostility is just palpable uh, when he when he even dares to question him about why he would. Uh, uh, why Trump uh, called these these uh, asylum seekers from Central America an invasion? Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing is that you know the the rare news is on one of those rare occasions where Trump actually tells the truth. And when he was on sixty minutes with Les- Leslie Stahl, he was asked why he why he would uh, is always attacking the media and demeaning reporters. And this this quote really says it all. Trump says, "You know why I do it." I do it to discredit you all and demean you all so you, when you write negative stories about me, no one will believe you. Well, of course. And I, that, yeah, that is just, that's the essence of the, you know, quintessential Trump. Yeah. So, yeah, he doesn't like being questioned, but the fact is, I, I think in the end, there, there's going to be, the only question is whether they're going to get a temporary restraining order immediately from, from, uh, Judge Kelly, but I, I think that this case is ultimately going to of go co- in favor of CNN. Of course, of course, he's Donald Trump is going to lose this one. I can't believe that he hasn't dropped it already and has even allowed this to go forward. Uh, Ernie Kenny, you say you you mentioned a Ted Olson. Uh, that's George W. Bush's former solicitor general. You're he is yes. in this case representing CNN against the uh, Trump White House. Yes, he is, as well as other members of his firm. Have you had the chance to read uh, Fox News's amicus brief? I don't know if they've filed it yet uh, or I, not. I, they did file the mm-hmm. brief, um, and, and I think I sent you a note on that. I haven't read the actual brief, mm-hmm. but uh, but I was I was guess I was a little surprised, but not totally, because I, I think from Fox's perspective is that come twenty twenty or 2021, uh, there may be a Democratic president, and they don't want the, the precedent this could set. Of course. I mean, even Fox News uh, knows that this is idiocy. And if the White House is actually making the argument that he's the president, he can bar anyone he wants for any reason whatsoever, uh, there are legitimate reasons that you can uh, bar a journalist if it's a, I, I presume, if it's, a, you know, they, they feel it's a, a threat, a, a, if he was violent, if there's a terrorist threat. Um, oh, of course, if he was a physical threat sure. to the president or anyone else, they, they could bar him. But, but that's not the reason this happened. No, that's not. And this seems like it will be a uh, absolute no-brainer. Um, but you know what? It's not unlike the same uh, same position that Donald Trump has brought to some of the cases, you know, when it comes to immigration. He says, we don't have to have a reason to do it. If I, you know, uh, want to bar these people, if I want to stop uh, asylum claims, I can do it. I have that right as president. I don't have to justify it. He's made the same claim when it comes to, you know, approving the Keystone XL pipeline. That decision was, uh, that argument was rejected at least for now, by a federal court uh, a few days.
days ago. At some point, Donald Trump will learn, even as president, no, he cannot do any goddamn thing he wants. Ernie Canning, uh, thanks for staying on this story over at Bradblog.com. I'll point folks to your uh, coverage over there. Um, And, uh, well, I think that's it. Oh, you can follow Ernie and uh, tell him he's all wrong on the Twitters at Can4ing. That's C-A-N-N, the number four, I-N-G. Ernesto, thank you very much, sir. You bet, Brad. Just another one of the dumb stories we have to cover with this White House. Yeah, it's 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 really and, crazy time. <laughs> and it's one that actually I, I would love to ignore, but this is such a serious, really constitutional issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, banning uh, the free press here, and, and Trump is going on to say, I might ban more of you. It's authoritarianism 101. Yeah, it is. So it at least deserves a nod as we uh, try and fight like hell for our constitutional representative democracy in this country. What a concept. <sighs> All right. Uh, that's it. The, uh, the coverage and the counting will continue on the next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to Ernie Canning at Bradblog.com, to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. You can uh, drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. And, uh, oh, if you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And my thanks while you're there. My thanks to uh, those of you who are able to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a monthly subscription of any amount you like to help Desi and I continue. Desi and me continue. I? Yes, me. Help us continue as we try to create independent, commercial-free broadcasting programming for you every day over your public airwaves. Bradblog.com slash donate. Listener supported. Thank you. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 